0: Hello and welcome to Surroundscapes, an audio and video podcast series featuring a diverse collection of interviews with thought leaders from around the world, addressing the general subject of the future of business. This content is curated by Bluesound Professional and focuses on the role of the oral and visual senses in creating unique, delightful and compelling experiences to stimulate business. This fourth series of Surroundscapes, is focused on the future of music, and we're really concentrating on two aspects of this question. The first of these is new ways of both creating music and presenting music, and the second one is how to properly monetize and value music in these digital times. So for this episode, I'd like to introduce Theon Cross, a wonderful jazz tuba player, Theon's talking to us from London and is going to talk about a number of aspects of these questions. So welcome, Theon.
1: I agree. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Uh, thanks so much for your time. So to start with, I'd like you to talk about um, your career to date. What you know, what led you to become a jazz tuba player, and um, you know where how you got to where you are now.
1: I guess to. Start from the very beginning. Um, it would have started when I was in primary school or elementary school in the States. My parents signed me and my brother up for brass lessons. Um, and the music teacher music teacher gave us different sized mouthpieces. So he would give us like a trumpet, trombone, tenor horn, baritone horn. It wasn't tuba at this point because tuba was too large for me to play. And he said, whichever mouthpiece you can make a decent sound out of is what you're going to have to stick with. So, my brother um, got a decent sound out of a trombone mouthpiece, and mine was right. a morning. Um And that's what I was, that's the instrument I was given with uh, to study lessons on.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: At first, I didn't enjoy it. I think I thought the mouthpiece was a bit too small. And while my brother was excelling, I just was kind of stayed, <laughs> staying in the same place. Um, so,. But my parents insisted that I keep going. So when I went to secondary school, um, I switched to a larger instrument called the Euphonium, where I felt like um, it felt a bit easier, a bit more comfortable. Um, and then I, I I would say I progressed better on it. And because I progressed better on it, mm. the teacher recommended me to go to a workshop on in mm. the summer, which is called the Kinetic Blocker. And I guess... Connecticut Bloco was where I got passionate by. it. It was basically a um, large carnival marching band ensemble where you had a large Brazilian drum section, but also a like very large brass section and a dance section as well. Um,
0: wow, well, sounds fun. How old were you then? I was my first year of
1: secondary school, so that was... Uh, twelve years old, right? Twelve years old. Um, and that's where I basically came into into like I started getting into jazz, basically, because in this ensemble there'd be like a theme every year, and I would do it every summer. So one year would be like a, a Sun Ra theme, and one theme would, would be like a felicooty theme. One would be a duke ellington theme. So at a young mm. age, it exposed me to lots of different styles. Of music and, and um, artists that I wouldn't have been aware of definitely wasn't playing in my household. My household was predominantly um, Caribbean music like soap or reggae right. and whatever was playing on the radio at the time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, and I guess in that ensemble, I moved from the Euphronium to the tuba mm-hmm. um, because an older musician by the name of Andy Grappi, who um, was like an established musician on, on the jazz scene in London right? Um, basically took me under his wing and um, um, made me play basically made me play the tuba and made me and, and would pass me lots of CDs to really um, make me interested in it so he passed me things like Howard Johnson and, and John Sass but also mm-hmm. passed me like music from New Orleans like uh, the Rebirth Brass Band and the right. Dirty Dozen Brass Band and later, well, they're not from New Orleans, but also the Young Blood Brass Band who were like really influential on me and seeing the tuba in a, I guess, a bass role context, but also in an improvisational context and a non-classical context.
3: Mm-hmm. So
1: i say that's where I developed my love for like within the Connecticut Blocker environment is where I developed my love for the tuba, but also love for jazz music or improvised music, sure. um, and that takes me up to Connecticut um, Blocker. Then led me to go to another workshop, which had which they both had their residency at the same place, which was the Tomorrow's Warriors, and mm-hmm. Tomorrow's Warriors was basically like the older version of um connectable blocker was for all ages mm-hmm. but it was definitely it was also for all different abilities so you got had people that were really good and quite proficient at the instruments but it was also a bit more of a balanced environment where you could have intermediate and beginner it was, right. beginner level it was basically uh welcoming in different abilities to do something creative in the summer and have an outcome to perform back then, which was at Wet Hill Carnival and then a show at the Corners of the where, Um Way. Tamora's Warriors was more focused on like real proficiency and particularly um, delving more into the bebop side of
3: mm-hmm. the
1: jazz tradition, so more um, learning standards and learning how to... Uh, harmonically improvise accurately around certain changes and how to interact with the removing section so um, and how to operate at like in a jam session environment right yeah um, and this was interesting for me because the true bar definitely felt out of place in a traditional jazz context but they welcomed me anyway so it wasn't they were like it it wasn't like uh, Gary Crosby who runs it. He didn't say, "Oh, um, yeah, you, you can't, you're not welcome because the tuba isn't it, in this section of jazz." It was like, "Okay, right. well, you're here. Mm-hmm. There's already a bass player, so you can't do that role." However, learn these tunes <laughs> and learn these mm-hmm. standards. So that gave me a, a bit more of a grounding in um, uh, jazz improvisation, um, but in a in a change, I guess we call it changing in a learning how in the sense of learning how to play changes and understand the harmonic movement of a piece.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and and also tomorrow's warriors were also about preparing people for to study at higher education. So from mm-hmm. then um I went from the Tomorrow's Warriors and auditioned for the Guildhall School of Music and Drama in London mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. on a mixed course of the Jazz course but also study classical lessons. Um, that takes me up to university where I did my four years, um, and then pretty much started to, once I graduated, started making my own music, um, mm-hmm. joined a group called Sons of Chemic, which is, uh, a, a band I'm one quarter of, mm-hmm. um, and I feel like it's taken me up to where I am. <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: So, um. Tell me a little bit more about Tomorrow's Warriors. I know a little bit about them, but um I don't I doubt most of the people that are listening know about them. Are they like an arts council funded organization? What's how did where how do they exist?
1: Correct. So they're an arts council funded organization um that have a how would I put it uh have a focus on um getting people from, um, I guess, low economic backgrounds and mm-hmm. people of colour and and particularly women into jazz. Mm-hmm. I think they mm-hmm. observed a point in the British jazz education um, arena where they were seeing more uh, white males succeeding, uh, white wealthy males in particular, yeah. Getting yep. into music, so they basically created a space where there was a need for a bit more diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it started at a place called the Jazz Cafe in London where they would run workshops. Yep. It then yeah, to mm-hmm. the South Bank Centre.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I guess what's significant about Worries is that they provide um, classes for free because they're publicly mm-hmm. funded, they don't charge people. and I think. Because of that, and because of that um, openness to include people from basically all backgrounds, they've been very much responsible for um, a visual change in the London jazz scene, but also um, contributed to an alumni that um, have gone on to be very successful. People like Shabaka Hutchins and Moses Boyd via Garcia pretty much most. Um, people from the London jazz scene, particularly mm-hmm. who, who, are, who, are, who are black musicians, would have come through with some race programs or, or have been associated with them in some shape or form, and they're still doing that work to this day.
0: So that's been, that's, been, that's so cool. I mean, jazz, um, I, I go to jazz gigs and you see kind of loads of old white guys <laughs> There. It's mm. kind of old white guy music nowadays, and it's just brilliant that, that you know, that's there's a force for changing that in, in London. Is it is it only in London or is it um, in other cities in England?
1: Um, tomorrow's Warriors are only based in, in London, mm-hmm. but a lot of the people, particularly while I was there, were coming down from different parts of, of the country to, to take part. Right. And I yeah. think they have yeah. in the past. Gone up and down the country to run workshops and things, but I think they are primarily based, based in London. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and how was how was the university experience for you? Because I think you said you you kind of got uh, involved in in classical as well there, or you had to get involved in classical as well there. Was that, mm-hmm. how was all of that for you? Was that it was interesting.
1: Or... Yeah, it, it was very interesting. Um, I'd say I was I was predominantly on the jazz course. But I was mm-hmm. I was made to do classical lessons and I was very pleased about that to be honest. But the jazz course was interesting because I was basically on the course as if I was a trumpet or a trumpet oh. player or a saxophonist. A frontline instrument is is the term. And that was good because it it made me go through all the same classes and hoops that I would have to to be a frontline soloist, which is something mm-hmm. that a tuba is, is not something that um Shiva players normally aspire to be or mm-hmm. aspire to do. So it made me have to transcribe um like trump I would transcribe transcribe people like Sonny Rollins and Clifford and yep. Brown and, and and people like that. And and it got it gave me a certain dexterity
2: mm-hmm. in
1: improvising that mm-hmm. I wouldn't have if if I didn't do those things. But also mm-hmm. um I would also. I had I had lessons with uh, an amazing um, saxophonist called John Toussaint, and he would always make sure that I learned and transcribe bass plays as well because he saw me as 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 a, as a bass player. Right. So I would also transcribe like bass plays, like Paul Chambers and, mm-hmm. and um, will uh, Wilbur Ware. Mm-hmm. And, um, Art Davis and people like that Yep. so yep. it was it was it was great in that capacity in a jazz context to learn uh, both roles kind of mm-hmm. um, front line section and rhythm section
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: and as well to be exposed to classical music because I at the end of the day I play an instrument that that comes from the was designed for classical music so It was really good to sit with uh Patrick Howard of the LSO and really mm-hmm. work particularly just on technique. And what I loved about him in particular is that he he wouldn't give me a break. He wasn't he didn't have this mindset of um oh you're a jazz musician, so um you can't I'm gonna go easy on you. He had actually played with some of the some of the best jazz musicians like Winston Marsalis and mm-hmm. and um JJ Johnson, and I think even Miles at one point in an orchestral setting. Wow.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. He respected jazz musicians for having, well, certain jazz musicians for having great technique and being able to improvise.
2: Uh-huh. So
1: he held me up to a level of no, you have to have great technique. You should be better because you should be able to have your technique together and be able to utilize that technique in an improvisational way. So. It was it was really good in that regard. So, to, mm-hmm. to go through the the, the, the typical jazz, um, the jazz course, but also have a classical teacher who respected jazz right. and wanted the best for me in that sense as well. So, uh,
0: wow, that sounds
1: ed- educationally. That sounds- I think it done me a lot of good going to the Guildhall.
0: Yeah, there's a question I want to ask you. that's just popped into my head. So, I'm a drummer, and part you of did- the reasons I up drums I mean the instrument spoke to me but but also I'm kind of an introvert so the idea of sitting behind a load of metal and and wood and Mm -hmm. stuff at the back of the stage was was appealing to me I didn't want to be the the, like lead vocalist or lead guitarist or anything at -hmm. the beginning but then as I went through you know getting used to gigging and, and stuff I kind of by the end of it I was kind of frustrated that I'd chosen the instrument In a, I still love the drums but so I, like, I want to be at the front <laughs> I want to be doing that stuff now was anything to do with tuba with, did it just happen to be the instrument you gravitated towards or was the fact that it's more often a kind of support instrument uh, instrumental in that decision or not?
1: Good question actually, I, I think I think a bit of both because I started playing in a um, marching band setting
2: mm-hmm.
1: where the tuba is the like support system for, yep. in, in my case, an ensemble that was like 150 people and you include dancers mm-hmm. and things like that, right? So in a sense, I, I came to it in that, yeah, I don't have to be at the front
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and I don't have to, I can stand behind this, I can be behind this, this big piece of metal.
2: Yeah. at
1: the same time, I love. The importance of an instrument like the bass role of being a, so important that the music feels empty without it. <laughs> yeah. So, I, yeah. so I loved, um, I loved um, the idea of being in the support role, but also mm-hmm. understanding that the bass instrument is 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 so important in this in this in this support of other things that like without it it's the, the, the music has no foundation.
2: Yeah.
1: So I yeah. kind of saw, so I guess I would say I, I saw the importance of the tuba away from just being um, uh, a, a musician at the front or getting all the glory. Mm-hmm. I saw, I saw the, the power in, mm-hmm. in, in being supportive.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I feel the same about the drums. It's kind of an instrument that's usually a supportive role, but without it, without drums, Mm. a lot of music kind of loses its drive and rhythm and structure. Mm. It's interesting. um, You mentioned being in a marching band because obviously I'm English and moved to America. Mm. And a lot of the musicians here, because marching bands, school marching bands are so much a thing over here. It Mm. really influences what instruments people play. So, Mm. Like in England, when I was growing up, there weren't really marching bands and things in my, you know, in the, in and around where I was growing up. So you didn't do that. You either played like a classical instrument or you you played a rock instrument in the garage with your with your mates and stuff. Mm-hmm. But there wasn't people that, that grew up playing, you know, trumpet and trombone and tuba and things because they they were in the school marching bands. So that's that was kind of an interesting. Change when I came over here, and you know, the, the instruments people played <laughs> and where they mm. started. It's interesting that you had that background of marching bands as well.
1: Yeah, I think, um, I, I guess I wouldn't say I, I take it back, I wouldn't say we have marching bands. I guess what we do have in London, in particular, is, is Carnival. Yeah, yeah, Kinetic Blocko um, was run well, it was run by. Uh, a great musician who's passed away of she called Matt Fox, who was a teacher in mm-hmm. schools in London. And it was, it's almost amazing because yeah, we don't have the culture of having like lots of brass instruments, but there are schools filled with them.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: it was almost like in Connecticut blocker they went out to communities where people weren't maybe starting in and doing their grades and, and, and things, but not really progressing with it. So Muslims like bringing, bringing kids from the inner city who 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 um, might be doing their classical grade one, two, and three, but mm-hmm. giving them a fun context to practice it in. Sure. Um, and I think I'm I'm a product of that. I'd say it's not really a culture across the whole country, but particularly at this time in London when I was growing up. Oh um, well, and, and Connecticut's still going, but. In in that in a particular community in London, um, they found a need um, and, and an environment to place all these um, kids who are at their beginning stages of finding they love for music and finding mm-hmm. and giving them a place to uh, express that and develop that
0: that's that's great. Yeah, and, and I I remember the carnival scene in London. Going up to carnival, um, mm-hmm. I grew up just outside <laughs> London, and. Um, yeah, that that was a great thing. I so you began to touch on it in your education. The way you use tuba is very different to the way like I think of tuba mostly as, as very much a lead instrument a lot of the time. Can mm. you talk a little bit about how you know you you've you've mentioned how that all started and and how you're transcribing other jazz instruments and learning to improvise and and um you know, what happened after that as you as you began to join bands and make a profession out of it all? Um, I would say
1: after I, but I'd tried out different things, like I, I'd tried out being a frontline instrument and I tried and I was doing lots of uh, like traditional jazz gigs on the side while I was doing the bass role. Mm-hmm. I guess in my own artistry, my question—the question I had to ask myself—is, "What? What am I going to do <laughs> with, all of, with, with all of this?" I could either um, wait for people to always find the need for the tuba, yeah, or do my own thing
2: mm-hmm.
1: and create my own sounds where people—they don't necessarily want the tuba, what they want. Theon Cross, (laughs) who who Mm -hmm. does different things. So I guess to answer your question, um, the next step for me was almost finding my own sound, which extended Mm -hmm. the tuba, if that makes sense. So coming up with it, thinking of a way of creating a signature sound that people, that is an amalgamation of the different things that I can do, that people mm-hmm. don't necessarily want the tuba, they want theon. And I think joining mm-hmm. some of Kemet about 2013, I think was definitely a place for me where I could exercise all the different things that I like to do, because it was um, just tenor, tenor saxophone, by Chewbacca Hutchins, myself, and then two drummers. Oh, I had wow. so much, and I had yeah. so much space in, in the music to try out different things. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like your front line and back line that yeah. I had yeah. the capacity to to to, and it's very much Caribbean music as well, which takes me back to um, implementing such some of the music from my youth, which I didn't necessarily mm-hmm. practice, but was definitely intrinsic to me culturally. That I now could bring it out in that setting. So, I see, that was a band where. I could I could throw out all the different techniques and styles um that were that i I picked up growing up um, mm-hmm. and i I'd, I'd been educated in. So that was a so good thing. Did you... Sorry, go on.
0: I was gonna say, how did you come to join the band?
1: Um initially, um, because I, I wasn't in, originally in the band, it was my mentor and teacher or a marshal.
3: Okay, um,
1: but after their first, after the first album on Burn, which he played on, um, it started to have a, a, a touring schedule that he was unable to do a lot of just for personal reasons. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I I initially started as, as a dip,
2: um,
1: uh-huh. but I ended up doing so much of the gigs that Shavaka decided to make the decision, um, for me to take over from time. Um, right. And it was, it was it was good, I think. What was good about that is that Oren very much gave me his blessing. And he was someone who, who taught me and I looked up to already and, and really respected his artistry and mastery and still do. So mm-hmm. it was, he gave me his blessing to do my best and, be, and become a version, become a better version of myself within that ensemble. Mm-hmm.
2: Um,
1: and then I was obviously playing with Shabaka and Tom Skinner and Seb Watchford at that, that time and all masterful, and then I learned from them um, and, and developed my own thing, if that makes sense. Which then led me to, I guess, um, form my own band and start making music on, under my own
0: name. Right. So when you were in Sons of Kemet, were were you writing music for, for the band at the time or um, were you playing other people's music still?
1: Um, Sons of Kemet, I've, most of the music is actually written by Chewbacca, i but he writes in a way for interpretation. So Mm -hmm. he writes the skeleton of the songs. Mm -hmm. And then, and because, and because the ensemble is so minimalist and there's not much people within it, I have the free reign to really expand on it. So Yeah, yeah, I guess he comes up with the, the bulk of it, but a lot of it is, is, is our interpretation and really, um, Improvisationally writing, and then mm-hmm. when we when we do, because I guess when Sons of is on the road, we do so much touring that we really build it and, and and create a show out of out of the the work, and then sometimes that influences uh, like the record. For example, this this new record which is coming out, a lot of a lot of ideas and practices from which we developed from touring is on, on the record. So not not compositional in the sense of what I sit down and wrote songs. That I I have to give that credit to Shabaka, but Definitely in terms of filling the space and, and improvisation, yep. or anything, I, I, I mean, yep. contribute.
0: And then, when did you form your own ensemble? I formed
1: initially, I think, about twenty fourteen.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I used to play a lot with my friend and longtime collaborator Moses Boyd. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to play in his band called The Exodus and right. he used to play in mine. Um,
3: mm-hmm.
1: And it was a trio or initially of Moses Boyd and Nubaya Garcia at the time. And it was just on ensemble while I was trying to put in as all my influences. So I put in the Caribbean influence. Um, I grew up listening to a lot of grime music which is electronic music mm-hmm.
2: Uh, mm-hmm.
1: With, with MCs. So a lot of that mm-hmm. rhythmic. Um, influence into the music as well but also like some of the like more jazz compositional things so it was almost like okay I'm, I'm, I've done so many different types of things what, what am I trying to say and I think that those compositions in that time manifested into an album I put out eventually in 2019 called Fire which I think was just an explanation right. of all the different different sounds and, and things and um, experiences and made made um usually by and no to it. it helped me express that
0: mm-hmm. so along the way presumably you're building a reputation in the jazz scene in in England or were you was it just in England or, or were you start to to play internationally by then
1: um i think particularly in england but i, I was around from from my joined, I'm um, Sander Kemet, from 2013 up to now. We've always had an international presence, particularly in Europe. Mm-hmm. So I think, thankfully, and and because um, I've been such a strong visual component and musical component of that band, mm-hmm. I guess my reputation started to grow internationally through the extensive touring that we did. Yeah, um,
0: yeah.
1: So yeah, I, to answer your question, I guess I brought
0: down in the U.K. So then kind of we, you know, you were talking about produ- releasing an album in 2019. And then, of course, early 2020, the world went into to lockdown. And mm. I haven't actually talked to a jazz musician on this series yet. Um, but I imagine that affected jazz music more than most because it's such a live-based improvisational type of music. Um, you know, what happened?
1: <laughs> um, well, initially, I was actually booked to do South by Southwest in 2020 and actually right. go out there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So initially, I was um, booked to go and play South by Southwest in 2020. Yeah. And I was really gearing up for that, prepared my set. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I was going to go under uh, jazz and Fresh's, um uh it, uh, performance card. I guess,
0: it's, it's okay. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, is, that, is that how South by Southwest heard of you through Jazz Refreshed? Or
1: no, I'd actually been. I think through Jazz Refreshed, but I had actually been there before performing. Okay. Right. Um, yeah, but I think I guess probably in my own my own name, definitely through Jazz Refreshed I would say probably. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, um, that was the first then. I guess the, the first uh, festival to get, to get cancelled, I think, was South by Southwest.
0: Right, right.
1: Um, and initially I thought, oh, okay, that's just one festival. And then one after the other, mm-hmm. um, shows I had with my own band and shows I had with Songs of Kemet just started getting... I had to start putting crosses in my, in my calendar. Sure, um, sure. So I, from my perspective, it was just um having gigs and then not having gigs. <laughs> yeah.
0: And what yeah. what period of time did that happen over? Was that like over a month or something? Yeah, you know, March, April last year, or how quickly did it all, all fall over?
1: I think between March and April is where they all started dropping out different festivals about, okay, that's gone, that's gone, that's gone. Mm-hmm. Or, or at first it was like that's being rescheduled. That's being rescheduled, and pretty much after that, I, I gave up hope. I was like, okay, this is this is a serious thing. It's, yeah, yeah. You know, I start. I started to look at the bigger picture. Yes, it's an inconvenience that you know, my gigs have stopped happening, but there's a problem on um, health wise with the world at large, and I just have to accept that things won't return until until they return.
0: Mm-hmm. And so what did you do then? I mean, you're presumably stuck at home without the ability to, to gig. Um, did you do any, like, virtual concerts, live streams, anything like that?
1: Yeah, so, South by South... Sorry, Jazz and Fresh uh, fought on their feet, actually. And um, they gave offered me my first live stream, mm-hmm. um, where the... The band, the different bands that they were bringing over to perform, we ended up doing a live stream performance that we all did about forty minutes each, and then yep. that got broadcasted. I think on their website, I'm not sure where it got broadcasted, mm-hmm. and definitely and on yeah and, and yeah. Like, yeah, and on YouTube as well. Um, so yeah, that that was the first live stream I did, and then I was also asked to do a performance with my band for a festival called Afro Punk. Mm-hmm. Um, similarly i did set for about half an hour to 40 minutes um and that's that started to become the norm of, and i guess right now it even still feels like the norm of um mm-hmm. pre-recording performances um and then broadcasting it later for for as a ticketed event to be
0: watched
1: um, mm-hmm. on on the on the laptop
0: did you do any like yourself like Facebook live or or anything like that um for your fans or or was it really just the festivals that put on um showcases that you could perform under
1: Yeah for me it was mainly um mainly the live streams mm-hmm. um I guess what was significant for me in my lockdown was um I'd already had the idea of um Making the album just with the tuba,
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, where I play all the bass lines, all the melodies, and the harmonies as well. And it's a it's an album, or it wasn't an album at that point. It was a project that I really started, and the lockdown gave me a real time to actually get into the studio with from my producer at the time, just us two, and, and really start working on mm-hmm. on what is going to be my next album. So
0: yeah,
1: yeah, I. For me, it was a blessing. I don't think I would have ever had that time to really mm-hmm. work on work on new music and really utilise the tuba in that way. So I yeah. think, um, like I say, I, I'm always an advocate to say that the tuba is, is an instrument that can do so many different things, but the lockdown in some ways and, and actually having a producer to work with forced me to be creative with just one instrument. Yeah. To wear before yeah. he was a trio or a quartet or something. So,
0: was that something you were thinking about before lockdown or, or did that idea was. It,
1: it okay. was. Um, it was through a conversation with um, a long time collaborator, well, Moses Boyd, who I mentioned earlier, who
2: mm-hmm.
1: in his outfit would go out as a band but also as a solo thing. And he, and he mentioned mm-hmm. that. to be able to go out by yourself, almost like how a DJ can as a jazz mm-hmm. musician. Is, is a great thing. So it was, it was something he, he passed on to me and something I started to think about already
2: mm-hmm. and
1: started to compose for.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But the lockdown just gave me more of a reason to do that. And then after that, through making the music, I thought, wow, how am I going to perform this? Mm-hmm. So I started actually researching and, and buying different pieces of technology to learn how to perform. So I bought a loop station, the RC, RC5 and 5. Uh, yeah,
0: that was. Learning. That was going to be my next question. Are you going to be using live looping and that sort of thing? But you've <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah.
1: so, so the lockdown in in the process of making a new album, which just features myself, I started I started asking how how do I perform this, which led me down a, a spiral of learning how how people do that and watching people to mm-hmm. do that, watching people who do do that. So I started learning how to how to use a loop station, how to use Ableton. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. A friend put me onto uh, a, a, a hardware um, digital uh, door um, mm-hmm. called the uh, MPC Live, which is like an MPC yep. drum machine. It's also yep. some thing in that. So the lockdown was good for me in terms of almost putting the tuba aside and, and getting yep. into technology. To, be- yep. to better yep. help me utilize. How to use mm-hmm. you in that
0: sense? Yeah, it's really interesting hearing. I've got a friend who who hopefully be on this series, Zoe Keating, who does that with uh, cello, just beautifully. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've got quite a lot of friends now that 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 have really got into live uh, looping, and and it really mm-hmm. it, it it's become another instrument almost. It's like that you know, it's it's in a way difficult to t- to Work out where the instrument stops and the technology starts. You know what? What's mm. an instrument? What's you know an instrument being you know, aware? Go on.
1: Yeah. yeah. I'll, to answer that, I think it is an instrument. I think mm-hmm. um, you know it is. It isn't. Basically, they are they are samplers. They take sound and then make it so that you can press a button and a sound is created. So for me, it it becomes an instrument. And you have to yeah. treat it like an instrument and treat it as an extension of, mm-hmm. of 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 the tuba or cello or whatever instrument you're playing. And yeah. I think that that is a skill that we we need to as, as like acoustic musicians or instruments or musicians that play um you know hardware instruments or whatever yeah. the term is. Like we need to start embracing that. Because I think that's yeah. it's, it's technology of the day. And I think yeah, it's, it's important yeah, that yeah. we start. We start embracing these things or or pedals. This, these are these these are the instruments of, of the time, and they need to be practiced and and mastered to really connect with an, an audience that um, is is the digital generation.
0: Yeah, so and I it think, also yeah. it gives you so much more power. It gives you the ability to you know to amplify what you're doing. Um, mm. I remember I'm, old, you know, somewhat older than you, and and as a drummer, I was around when the first kind of drum machines came out, the in mm-hmm. drums and things, um, and it was really interesting because most drummers hated them because they, you know, they were taking their jobs, if you like, um, and I used to program them for people, and people, mm-hmm. other drummers said to me, well, "Why are you doing that? You're betraying us." And it's like, no, you need to be a drummer to program these, um, because otherwise, you know. Like just little things like hanging back behind the beat a bit in a verse and then going back mm-hmm. on the beat or in front of the beat in the chorus. No other non drumming programmer knows that stuff. So, mm-hmm. so kind of it was really interesting that the polarization. I think drummers are probably particularly technology averse, but they <laughs> were in those days, but, mm-hmm. but. You know, the fact that it wasn't an either or, it was an and. You can be a drummer and and for a long time I played electronic kits. I went back to playing acoustic kits later, but um mm. there was a quite a long time when I'd actually have two kits, an electronic and an acoustic kit on stage. And, you know, just that ability to embrace the technology and say, okay, this is like, I've got some more colors in my palette now. I can, you know, mm. I've got more tools that I can draw from. And I really feel that at the moment where... A lot of that's being democratized so you can do it like on your computer or even on your phone. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's these tools that in the old days when I was going to studios, it was all about the hardware mixing consoles and tape machines and, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of equipment. And nowadays you can do it on your computer, <laughs> laptop. And yeah, just
1: yeah. I saw one
0: yesterday who'd, who'd done a first album with a laptop and a 10 buck? Um, mm. Will store acoustic guitar, and mm. you know that's I think I think it's it's hugely powerful. Uh, but but anyway, you you've really immersed yourself in it, and and I, I'm really looking forward to hearing this album, Just to That that like that's I'm having trouble imagining it, and I'm looking forward <laughs> to listening to it. Yeah, no, um,
1: it's been basically been the focus of, of my whole lockdown. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I think mentally we've all been stuck with ourselves and our own mind. And I think the concept of the album is that I i will give you the title. The, the title is going to be called Intra I, which intra means within and just mm-hmm. going inside. And I think for me conceptually the album is about us all as people like learning more about ourselves and going into ourselves and figuring ourselves out before we go back into the world at large. And I think yep. the process of learning more about how to make the most out of the tuber is still as, uh, uh, making the most out of the tuber um, itself, and then embracing how to embrace that with technology and things like that is part of that journey as well mm-hmm. as, as mm-hmm. going into us, in, into ourselves mentally as well. So you know, it's 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 um it's a it's a practical thing and, and a mental thing for me. So I can't. I'm really yeah. looking forward. it. So really science to
0: one yeah it's you touched on something that i'm i'm really interested in um in general which is yeah you know, the human race has basically had a year pause um you know maybe we wouldn't have wanted that but it happened to us as a as a human race and i'm really interested to see which people can use that time to to think about stuff and come back more mindfully in in whatever it is in you know addressing climate change addressing inequality addressing you know the big problems globally that 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 the earth and the human race um you know they're they're in front of us front and center and how many people just say i just want to go back to doing what i was doing before as quickly as i can and and particularly in america where i live i think there's a lot of people that want to do that it's just like i just want to go back to doing what i was doing and to me, that's a huge missed opportunity. You've had this year to to like think about this stuff, and it's it's great hearing that you've used that time and um, both both in terms of the time to produce an album, but also the thought process that went behind it.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think I think um, if if we're going back out into the world, the same people who went into the lockdown, and I think that's the problem. I think. I think the lockdown was meant to be the um, cocoon for us to mm-hmm. like, emerge as as butterflies of whatever aspirations we have, we have. Yeah. And I think whatever people you've, you've, whatever we've been able to say to ourselves, that, um, to say that we haven't had the time to do, that was the time to do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, in, yeah, in whatever choose. sense,
1: whether that's I want to lose weight, or I want to yeah. read more yeah. books, or I want to get into technology, I think that was the time that the universe was giving us to focus on ourselves, and I yeah. think, you know, I, I I I definitely used it as best as I as I could.
0: Um, yeah, it sounds that and, way, and, and and I think you know, for someone who who's always been saying I haven't got the time to do something, and still haven't done it during lockdown, you kind of know it's not time that's your issue there. It's either motivation okay. or, or just yeah. inability to do it because um, you've now had the time to do that. Mm. So, yeah, I, I want to get on to the bit in a sense. It, it was the reason I originally why I wanted to talk to you, although this has been fascinating up to now, which is uh, South by Southwest this year and your plans you know, to come back and, and do something different. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah, so... Um Jasper Fresh had already booked me with, with my band to play again the virtual festival. But what, what was amazing is that I had the opportunity to perform as, as a digital avatar.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and what that meant was that a um, a company called FKB Digital that, like that create avatars like and work within that that space um, basically had a day where they gave me lots of different <laughs> armbands and wrists and things to, that they yep. put on me to capture the motion of me playing playing my instrument, mm-hmm. um, and and through getting my, I guess my 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 motion captured, they then created an avatar, um, which they further animated and made into a more grand performance, um, giving me like a. Uh, a, a rising stage and literally animated like Sonic booms coming out of the, <laughs> coming out of the tube mm-hmm. and made it into just, just a motion capture of me performing into a really like a special performance, which they then put into a digital room, which people um, on VR chat were able to um, create their own avatar and watch and um, which was amazing. So I had the opportunity to um, have my own headset and be in this digital room almost like a like a live venue with, with other people who were watching it and watching myself perform. And I think it was a really good experience because it showed you that even within this lockdown, we can create spaces where you can literally feel like you're in, in, in a live environment. Obviously, nothing, nothing is the same as um, being in these spaces in real life, I think it was definitely a sidestep <laughs> in, in, in innovation, in in mm-hmm. in creating new possible ways to watch music in real time and experience it with other people. Because although mm-hmm. it's digital, like you know, people are coming into the space dressed as however they want to be in a digital space, it is still you next to another life being so uh, it was it was really fascinating for me to be to be a part of that experience
0: so i have so many questions about that um were you able (laughs) to um like did you design your avatar once they had done the motion capture bit were you able to like design the way you looked and the way your triva looked and all of that sort of stuff or did they do that for you
1: they did that for me and they asked they asked my opinion so I told, okay. I told them what. I, I, funny enough, what I was wearing on the day was 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 almost like I wanted to be animated. So they they took uh, what I was wearing on the day as a template, mm-hmm. and I think they 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 bettered my outfit <laughs> than what I'd originally performed in. So,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and then they took the then they I think they ended up taking a a lost the word? Like they took a template of of, of the the tuba and animated yep. the tubings yeah, so it was very similar to to my right. so, anyway. so, so they they went away for... but they also my opinion and what I wanted to make.
0: you were going for a pretty lifelike avatar it wasn't like a fanciful avatar review it was a um yeah a,
1: I, it was that de- it was lifelike. close to me in the, it was close to me in appearance it was just mm-hmm. um um they just had an outfit that was a bit more grandiose it was it was like yeah kind of uh tech wear clothing but it kind of lit up and things like that.
0: Yeah. Um were your band involved in that or was it just you?
1: No, just 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 me for for that one. And I think funny enough I, I, I used the track off of this um of off the album that's coming. And mm-hmm. I think because I was able to do it where it was just me and I had a track where it was literally just 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 the tube but was actually an, an advantage <laughs> to actually getting mm. the, getting the opportunity. So it was almost so we, like I made music for that particular thing. In the end. Sure.
0: Yeah. It all came together. Um, exactly. Were you, were you performing live? Could you see the avatar audience when you were playing? Were yeah, you...
1: I was in the audience. Well, the yeah. thing is um, they, they took a template of me already performing, so I wasn't performing live. I was watching it. Live. Oh, okay. But, um, yeah, yeah. But um, they, they, and it was already to uh, uh, a track that had already been recorded. So I guess mm-hmm. it wasn't live in that sense, but it was being mm-hmm. broadcasted live. Um, yep. But the performance itself had already been programmed and designed to air at this particular time. But I was in right. the audience.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but there wasn't an interactive element. You weren't like doing a and a with the audience or interacting with them. You were just there no. as one audience.
1: No, well... I can interact in that uh, I was in the audience and you could see my name the and uh-huh. yeah, yeah. so people I think so people knew it was me in the audience and, and people would come up to me and ask me and tell me mm-hmm. how great how, how it feel so unfortunately not as a performer I think uh-huh. in that sense I was watching myself which yeah. <laughs> was it was an experience but um, I can interact as an audience member and people were able to know me
0: so it's kind of, you know, a few years ago, I was fascinated by Second Life and this idea of kind of building virtual realities. And and uh, there was a man, there was a management consultant called Eddie Abeng who had like a a virtual management college, they had a thing called The World After Midnight. And you'd go kind of, it was like literally a small college and go into different classrooms and things and social spaces. And it was all very... Um, i i call it like eight bit digital it was all very kind of um first generation if you like not <laughs> not believable um interesting but but and what i haven't done yet i've i um used v r for a number of things but not for this type of thing so i'm i'm gonna have to um gonna have to get involved in some of those things to see how much more realistic that makes it all how how realistic did it feel to you being in the audience? Um, I think in terms of
1: rendering, it definitely felt digital or felt like a game.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. But in terms of, um, the movement, I I had an Oculus. Mm -hmm. Oculus has, um, two digital hands. Yeah. You can control yourself moving, Mm -hmm. move your head and, 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 uh, and the avatar is moving. Move your hands, and the avatar is moving. So, in terms and, and and look to the right or the left of you, and see other people who are in that space. Mm-hmm. So, it, I guess in terms of realism, it didn't look as like refined as 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 real life. But in terms of the feeling, it felt like I was when I put the headset on. It felt like I was in a space, and I could interact with other people. Mm-hmm. In that way, so it definitely felt like the look of the game, but it felt like the movement of a, of a performance
0: mm-hmm. and what reaction did you get from from your um from your fans, from your audience? Did they like it? Was it did it go down well?
1: I think so. I think um I couldn't in in that space, I can't see people's like smiling faces or people jumping around I, think, but it was well attended, which I was happy mm-hmm. about.
0: Um, was, then, was was there like n- social sorry, media buzz and stuff afterwards
1: um about it? bits and pieces um bits and pieces um definitely more um noise in in the media pre the show than after mm-hmm. but I definitely
3: mm-hmm.
1: um managed to get uh a few more followers after the fact on, on my social media and, and a few people on article on Twitter saying that they, that they enjoyed the show. So mm-hmm. I, thought it, I thought it was, I'm, I'm pleased with how it ended up.
0: Good. So we're chatting now in late April, 2021, and you know, both in England and in the U S we're beginning to see maybe the be- you know, the, the beginning of the end of the pandemic. Hopefully people are getting vaccinated uh infection rates are falling how do you think what you've been through will change you know how you go out and gig and play and and you know your career how will obviously you've done an album which is which you're presumably going to go out and promote and tour you've had a little bit of involvement with with the vr and avatar based performance how do you think all of that's going to play into your career from now on?
1: I think just being removed from the live experience um, has given me, and I'm sure audience is just an appreciation for it. I
0: think mm-hmm. just
1: the feeling of feeling like the touch of an audience member or, or the vibration from a loudspeaker
3: mm-hmm. is
1: something that 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 you took not took for granted but we didn't necessarily appreciate as much. So I think now we've been withdrawn from it. We're going back in with a deeper appreciation of what that means and especially Mm -hmm. and what that means and what that feels like. And especially since you know we're in a time where people have lost people.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: We're starting to appreciate that life is short and that we must appreciate these moments. So I think, personally, I'm coming back in as a performer, appreciative of one being able to be in a room full of people that appreciate my art, mm-hmm. but also, um, how but also having the mindfulness to really think about what I'm saying in my art and -hmm. what that means to someone who who is going through, particularly with this album where, this album coming where it's definitely more about what I've gone through personally and the journey within. It's Mm -hmm. more about going back in to share a perspective that I want people to relate to. Mm -hmm. So more than just them an audience really appreciating and loving the music on the, on the sonic level. Mm-hmm. I think it's more about going back out and presenting something that people can can gel with on a conceptual level and something that relates to them on, on a, on a, on a level away from just the sonic sound of things.
0: Have you got I mean, that's, that's really interesting. And, and, um, kind of that depth of, of the experience and the message. Um, do you have any ideas as to how to to amplify that um, in terms of, you know, for example, in an album, obviously the artwork, the, the kind of liner notes, um, but as you go out and perform, are there any ways that you can take people on that journey apart from sonically?
1: Great question. Um I guess in a performance setting, definitely taking the time to speak to the audience
2: mm-hmm.
1: and tell them more about what what I'm trying to express and what I want them to know.
2: Mm-hmm. I think
1: in social media, in posting content, using the caption or or speaking in the videos to express what you want them to know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think it's just really attaching the thought process to the art in whatever way yeah. you can, I think.
2: Yeah,
1: um, it's something. I haven't necessarily say I've achieved that yet, but it's something I'm going to be much more mindful of in, in the release of this album, which hopefully it will be in October.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, with particularly with jazz, um, but with with music in general, that you know this concept of um for example in in mainstream rock music you've typically got lyrics and things it's you know it's it's a journey that's pretty curated whereas with jazz you're almost painting almost like an abstract canvas that people can build their own meaning into and and certainly you know for example i was lucky enough to see miles live a few times before he died and and those are some of the most powerful gigs i've ever been to um and but it wasn't because it was prescriptive it just like was this canvas that that you could see some people in the audience got and some people didn't and you you kind of bought into at different times in the performance so it's interesting now that you've got a really powerful backstory to the music that you want to find ways of of getting out to your audience rather than just giving them a sonic canvas to lay their own meaning over
1: Mm. yeah i think um it's definitely about being as intentional as possible.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, with what I'm doing next, I've I've, I've, I've got an artist who's um, done art specifically to the themes of, of my songs, and on cool. some yeah, on, yeah, on yeah. some, I've got vocalists that speak directly to the theme, mm-hmm.
2: um,
1: and that's good. And I think in that way, it's a bit more intentional. But yeah. I guess in in many ways, though, it, art is not always for people to get exactly what I see out of it. I think it's also yeah. for people to to get their own. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think, and, I think what I present as well, and, I, and, I, and, I, and always, I can accept that and respect that.
0: There's always an element to that, but it's like some art, it sounds like you're much, much more intentional with this album and, and like your drive that people understand exactly what you you know, were going through, what you wanted to convey. Is mm. is much more powerful in in what you're doing now than than you know some of the other music maybe, um, mm. and so being able to mediate that balance between canvas and story and and mm. kind of and you're pushing it more towards the story end here, but yeah. always is, you know people will interpret music um, to to align with their own lives and what they're going through. However, prescriptive it is. Mm. Um, with jazz, I mean, you're using technology now, looping, VR. How tolerant do you think the jazz mm. <laughs> the <laughs> jazz audience is for that sort of thing? I, but, and and you're probably playing to a younger jazz audience than the audience that kind of I listen to jazz with. So, mm-hmm. but they've they've all struck me as a pretty kind of. Conservative audience They like what they like And they don't want you to Screw around with it too much
1: Mm. I think I think I may alienate some
3: Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Like um, um, (laughs) Hardcore jazz fans But I think That's fine I'm not necessarily I think my music reaches who It reaches And I think Mm -hmm people that respect jazz know that it has to change
2: mm-hmm.
1: particularly if we follow like the trajectory of people like Miles Davis who sure. are always constantly reinventing themselves and constantly working within new sounds and finding new ways to express that mm-hmm. so I think I'm, I'm going to worry less about um, the people that don't come with me yet. and I guess focus on those that do
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and really not think of it in terms of I, I try not to think in genre to be honest. I don't think of yeah. anything I've ever made that say I'm trying to make a jazz record or I'm trying to make a hip hop record or a grime record. I think sure. for me it's just expressing um what's important to me in in a mm-hmm. musical way that that feels right to me. So I think if if a jazz if the jazz audience um comes with me they come with me <laughs> and if anything yeah. they don't, they don't that's, and I think
2: yeah.
1: I think that's the way I've always seen it I don't think I've ever tried although I come from um, practicing the jazz tradition have a love and an understanding and respect for the jazz tradition I don't feel the need to have to have to make music for lovers of, 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 of jazz because I think jazz yeah. is such a big word anyway I think it encompasses so many different songs that I can never please everyone so mm-hmm. I think I'll have to please myself. <laughs> well,
0: that's <laughs> then, a very healthy attitude. I think, I mean, in particularly today, but I think this may have been the case always, some of the most inventive work in all disciplines comes in the um, intersection, interstices between things. So, mm. like, probably the person I think is doing some of the most amazing work in the world at the moment, a woman called... Neri Oxman, who uh, is was the head of the Mediated Matter Lab at MIT Media Lab, and she works in the intersection between computational analysis, microbiology, three D printing, and uh, I've forgotten the fourth one now. Uh, there's a fourth thing, and and she's doing these kind of amazing works with three um, D printed prosthetics. Um, external digestive systems, kind of um, silkworm-generated geodesic domes, kind of really out there stuff, but fusing nature and technology. And um, and I think a lot of the most interesting things happen, you know, when you're not constrained by a genre or a practice or um, you just, as you say, do what you do and people hopefully will follow it. So the last question I really want to ask you, um, the last area I want to to talk about is this idea of being able to make a living as a musician in the age where, um, you know, you could say that streaming has devalued music totally for most people. And it's like an all you can eat buffet for 10 bucks a month. Um, Mm -hmm. How has that affected the jazz world and you and how do you see it changing?
1: In some ways, it's made people appreciate live more. So, in mm-hmm. some way, in that, in that respect, it's positive in that. Um, because, like you say, it's, it's been depreciated, and it is a buffet um, for 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 ten pounds or ten dollars.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: People really pay for the live tickets. That have really. Uh, with with, uh, with a certain level of appreciation for the songs that they listen to on Spotify being in the moment so mm-hmm. in that regard it's been positive um, but I think yeah it, it's been devalued and people don't necessarily respect it or want to pay for it mm-hmm. so it's meant that we have to find other ways out, well outside of the live to 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 engage with an audience. Because if it's if it's only just the music, if it's only just through the music and you're not getting paid for that, how else can how else can we um, interact with them? So I think social media, like really using your Instagram and your YouTube channel and whatever else, Patreon, things like that, where it's going direct to an audience
2: mm-hmm.
1: to build a relationship where they keep coming back to you specifically for what you're individual input uh, to the world is Mm
2: -hmm. is
1: important I think really really being conscious of of what you're putting out on your own individual platform away from the external ones like Spotify and Tidal and things like that Mm -hmm. so that you're getting you're putting out your direct expression to your tribe I'd say Mm -hmm. I'd say um the answer is to create specialized content for a specialized audience, if that makes sense. I haven't tapped into the Patreon um, thing yet, but that to me makes sense in that you're making a specialized um, art and gift for, people, for paid um, subscribers and people that mm-hmm. really appreciate it. So I think that to me, for, I, I'm yet to dive into that space, but it definitely intrigues me and it's something that, yeah. the or things like that. I think that's that's definitely the way to go in making mm-hmm. art for for specific people that are willing to pay for it. I think that's gonna be the trajectory that that makes sense within within the art space.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting in in the pop and rock world, um, you know, with the advent of recorded music, you got to this kind of zenith in the seventies and eighties where Basically, the record sales or CD sales were everything, and the live was like an advert for the records. Whereas, mm. you know, in today's world where the recorded music is is worthless, it's it's all value valueless. I'm going to say in, in perceived as, then the live you know the, the the recorded music is an advert for the live gig. So it's reversed mm. again, like it used to be before there was recorded music, and you know, um, and it's interesting in jazz because the live experience has been so much more important all the way through. So, you know, there, with, with rock, there were lots of people that just bought the records or and never mm-hmm. ever went to a live gig, but, but, you know, kind of as a jazz fan, you, you go to the live gig cause it's different every night. Um, mm-hmm. and so maybe it's been insulated a little bit when you go towards Patreon and, and, you know, the, there's the i don't know if you've come across it this 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 um proposition of you know a thousand true fans can support an artist it's kevin yeah. Kelly really did it um and you have these true believers and you you have like a patreon and and you give content for your for your tribe as you said and then you have spotify f- and and the streaming platforms for the casual listener what yeah. i'm kind of interested in And I don't know that it's a problem that's quite been solved yet is if you look at one as black, you know, the true believers and one as white, the casual listener, how do you get the gray bit? You know, how do you take people from a casual listener to a point where they're a Patreon subscriber, let's say, because there'll be a time at which they like your music somewhat, but they're not totally bought in. And, you know, how do you how do you take them on that journey?
1: (coughs) Mm. I guess from people I like, it is from, from musicians or even YouTubers that I like watching, I guess the answer is consistency.
3: It's mm-hmm. a
1: consistent posting and a consistent um, thing that you do. That,
3: yeah. that, that,
1: like, it's special to you, the way you, you are It's almost like you're getting, like, a, like your TV audience or your mm-hmm. TV, um, how would I describe it? like you're getting your regular followers that mm-hmm. that tune into your television show every week or however yeah, often yeah. you put so I think it's it's building attraction from a consistent yeah. type of posting of whatever you do. And I don't I wouldn't I wouldn't say I do this around or even at all yet. it's definitely something I'm thinking about mm-hmm. of how can I in the same way that I would do a gig every week, like someone might do a gig every week, how can I put something out someone yeah. can subscribe to that they're going to be consistent, and that way, when you build up that consistency of posting, or consistency of, of putting out your thing that is special, then the, the Spotify person or the person who comes from the streaming platform who taps into you, I guess they, they'll have a library of things to check out and then mm-hmm. and then join join mm-hmm. the join the train. I've definitely seen that in the YouTube space about yeah. YouTubers talking about whatever topic, and I think. I think that's the next step for music, I suppose. Not the next step, but I think that's that's the angle for music. Is having yeah, a, people like the Pocket Queen, who, who, who drum does a consistent like a video where people look forward to her posting mm-hmm. like a video of her doing a drum cover or a modern neon who like an interview and put music mm-hmm. to it. To me, from a musical perspective, that makes sense. Because then it's yeah. like you've got people waiting Mm. Checking out your back catalog of,
2: mm-hmm.
1: of like one minute videos, yeah or we doing that one special thing that only you can do and in your way, and then then coming onto the trainer that, so I think that's in a musical space that's 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 where it lies to me right nice. It's about doing something that and i'm I'm trying to figure out what that is to me i am gonna get sure. there but I, think, sure. but I think it's uh make creating yeah. something that someone can subscribe to. And, and, yeah. and really become a follower of not a not a like follower who just follows you and then doesn't watch anything just to add to the number count, but a real follower, someone who mm-hmm. is actually really invested in what you're trying to do.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting perspective, and I think yeah, that's you've gone further to answer that question than than most people I've asked in the sense of you know, building this this flow of content production people um tuning in to listen to it kind of getting gradually pulled into your universe to a, to an extent where they can say you know what i'm i'm a fan now i'll I'll, uh, I'll subscribe to the patreon or i'll buy the album or the limited you know artwork or whatever it is the memento that that um that's that's fascinating well, we probably should stop now, but I, I do want to ask you, um, is there anything else that we haven't talked about that as a last thought you, you feel that you want to say? I think we covered a lot of ground. <laughs> I,
1: think, yeah, we did. I think we covered a lot of a lot of ground. I think I've definitely expended on a lot of the talking points that I wanted to, so so no, but if you if you do have any last questions i I'm happy to answer
0: no no that was that was brilliant um i you it's been so much more um full and enriching than than I even expected it would be and I was really looking forward <laughs> to talking to you um wow. so that's that's great. How do people get in touch with you um you know, what's the best way first of all to to get acquainted with your music um, to contact you? Web pages, email addresses, whatever.
1: Yeah. So my website is theoncross com. Instagram is theon underscore cross. Twitter is at theoncross. Um, Facebook, typing theoncross, you'll find me. Um, music, I-, I think I'm on everything. So Spotify, <laughs> funny enough, Spotify, Tidal, um, yep. but Spotify title. Yeah. if you really want me to get the most money, probably buy from my Bandcamp.
0: <laughs> okay, Bang camp. Uh, yeah, yep, yep. Fan camp is emerging as as you know a really powerful uh, platform for people to to um, to to make money out of and fans to to express their appreciation and, and buy in the right way. So thanks mm-hmm. so much, Theon, and thanks for everyone for uh, listening. Please, as always, tell us what you think of the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to to it on. Rate it, give us suggestions to um, other people that you might like to hear us talk to. And thanks for listening. Come back and listen to some more episodes.